Doings of Doyle is sponsored by Belanger Books, home of the best Sherlock Holmes anthologies featuring today's top Sherlockian authors. Belanger Books is the only authorised publisher of Solar Ponds Mysteries, continuing the Sherlock Holmes legacy into the 21st century. Visit them today at belangerbooks.com. Welcome to Doings of Doyle, a podcast dedicated to the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Professor Challenger, Brigadier Gerard, and of course, Sherlock Holmes. I'm Mark Jones. And I'm Paul Chapman. And together we'll be exploring Doyle's eclectic bibliography to understand more about the great man's life and work. We'll be discussing his fiction and non-fiction, the well-known and the obscure. And stopping by Baker Street along the way. You can find out more at doingsofdoyle.com or follow us at doingsofdoyle on Twitter. Hello and welcome to episode 12. Today, Paul and I are delighted to welcome to the podcast Cliff Goldfarb to talk about his love of Conan Doyle's Napoleonic stories. Cliff is the author of The Great Shadow, a book on Arthur Conan Doyle's Napoleonic war stories, and Investigating Sherlock Holmes, which he wrote with Hartley R. Nathan. He's written the introduction to The Complete Brigadier Gerard, published by Barnes & Noble, and his Doylean work has been published in numerous places, including the Journal of Olympic History, Finest Hour, the magazine of the International Churchill Society, The O Scholars, Journal of the Oscar Wilde Society, and The Green Bag Almanac and Reader. He collects everything and anything related to this area of interest and to the artist William Barnes Wallen, illustrator of the Brigadier Gerard stories. Cliff is also chairman of the Friends of the Arthur Conan Doyle Collection at the Toronto Reference Library and chairman of the advisory board for the newly formed ACD Society. He's a frequent speaker on topics related to Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes, and when he's not doing all that, he enjoys spending as much time as possible with his seven grandchildren. Cliff, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello, Cliff. Nice to meet you. So tell us, how did you first encounter and come to be interested in, in Conan Doyle? Well, I was a, a very young lawyer at um, a law firm, and um, one of my mentors was a not that much older lawyer named Hartley Nathan, who um, uh, is very useful to have a mentor because you always run into problems, and if you have someone who can help you figure out where to find things, that, that's a huge advantage. <laughs> and one day he came back to the office, and he, he said he had just been elected secretary of the local bar association. And he was going to offer me the opportunity to become assistant secretary, but he had a second offer. And that was uh, that he had just been involved in forming a new Sherlock Holmes Society called the Bootmakers of Toronto, mm. um, which was formed because of the opening of the Arthur Conan Doyle collection at the Toronto Reference Library. And would I be interested in helping him with that as an alternative to being a you know, local um, bar association? And of course, I jumped at Sherlock Holmes. Not really having read that much Sherlock Holmes. My, my fiction reading had been heavily skewed towards science fiction, actually, oh. most of my, uh, my youth. Um, I probably read a Sherlock Holmes story or two, but I think I was more familiar with the uh, Ronald Howard television series, which at that point had uh, not too far in the past been new, and, uh, and the Basil Rathbone movies. But uh, I, I went along to, I think it was the second meeting of the bootmakers. I can't say it was a, a founding bootmaker, but I went to the second meeting and I just found it fascinating, um, uh, quirky, um, 
people involved were all well known, not all, but many of them were well known in, in public life in, in Toronto. And um, it was it was kind of flattering to be able to uh, hobnob with them. And some of them are, you know, today well known as founders of the uh, Sherlockian movement, um, Tupper Bigelow and, and, and was one in mm. particular. And uh, I just grew from there. Very good. And, and when did you stray from the Sherlock Holmes path into the rest of Conan Doyle? Well, I, I didn't actually stray. I started going in both directions at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I continued to be a Sherlockian, but I became a Doylean. Um, at, uh, not too many years down the road, it occurred to me that the, the man who wrote the Sherlock Holmes stories was one heck of a good writer. Mm. And I had become aware that he had written other things. And I started reading those other things. And I, I confirmed to myself that he was a superb writer. Um, I often, when I'm asked about him, I, I say, if he had written the telephone book, he would enjoy reading it. <laughs> and... Uh, so I started reading his other works and, and became engrossed in them. And um, I was I was predisposed to, I guess, becoming a doylean. I mean, it's fun to play the game, but then at some point in time, you have to justify the amount of energy you're expending yourself. And um, I, I thought there was more, more to the, the man than, than the detective, and I found it. And from the bootmakers, you've been very involved in a number of Sherlockian societies and, and, and movements since then. So how did you sort of expand out from, from the bootmakers? Um, well, it was interesting because in the early days of the bootmakers, we used to get well over 100 people out at meetings. Wow. And I became um, uh, Myers, which is the uh, head of the bootmakers, Myers Toronto, the boot in the Hound of the Baskerville was made by him. And... Um, uh, we had many visitors from other places in the Sherlockian world. Uh, Mike Whalen, who who was the head of the Baker Street Regulars, but well before that, used to come up to Toronto regularly for meetings and other people came. And then uh, there were a couple of Baker Street Irregular events, um, dining with Sherlock Holmes uh, when um, Julie Rosenblatt and Fritz Schoenenschmidt of the um, Culinary Institute of America put out a, a cookbook um, and they had an event. And so Hartley and another chap and I went down to that event. And that was the first time I really met all the American uh, East Coast, at least um, Sherlockians and started to get involved in, in broader things. Um, I also joined the, uh, I had lived in London for a year while I was going to school and I, um, I was already a Sherlockian by that point in time. And so I joined the, um, the Sherlock Holmes Society of London and then uh, ultimately I was investitured in the Baker Street Irregulars as Fordham, the Horsham lawyer. So the, the Ford part relates to my, my name Clifford and the Ham part I think relates to the fact that I'm not a very good actor. <laughs> well, I can empathize with that. You mentioned about exploring the path down Sherlockian and Doylean works um, pretty much at the, at the same time, but you you have found a niche, as it were, around the Napoleonic stories in particular. So, so what, what drew you to those? Uh, serendipity. <laughs> Hartley and I were writing, um, we, we started writing legal articles together, and then it occurred to us that we could do a, a Sherlock Holmes paper together. And so our, actually, we've had a writing partnership now of 45 years, mm. which has led to several books. Uh, we're we're uh, co-authors of um, what we think is the leading Canadian text on how to run meetings, corporate meetings. And, um, but we also have written a number of papers on uh, various themes. Um, 
and um, I don't know whether it was Hartley or me who thought, why don't we, we, we hadn't, I don't think either one of us was aware of the Brigadier Gerard stories and then we bumped into them and we thought, why don't we see how they're connected to the Sherlock Holmes stories? So it was really for a Sherlockian paper, mm. whether we could find some connection. And we, we went down to the Royal Canadian Military Institute and the, the librarian, Anne Melvin was a wonderful woman. She was married to David Skeen Melvin, who is one of the prominent Toronto bootmakers um, author as well. And spent an afternoon looking at mainly at the, Mar the memoirs of Marble mm. and um, trying to find things in there. And then probably that afternoon or not very long after Hartley said he didn't have any interest in, in the topic. And I said, well, I still think it's worth a paper. So <laughs> I do it on my own. So I started writing a paper and I could never finish the paper. And 10 years later, it had become a book. <laughs> so it's, it's, when I said serendipity, it's a combination of serendipity and osmosis that, uh, that got me here. So Cliff, with with the Napoleonic era, then the the the, the background, um, it, it just it did the, the stories themselves. Then just drew you into that era, and then did did you get pulled into the era as a whole? Because it is is such a, a fascinating, exciting period in in European history. Did, did the, these stories essentially draw you into that that whole milieu, as it were? Yes. Um, and even more so because I had to, um, for the book, I had to read a lot of military memoirs yeah. mm -hmm. and a lot of um, uh, biographies like uh, memoirs of Constant, who was Napoleon's um, um, a, a but, a butler or um, clerk valet. And um, I, I just found it fascinating. I mean, I found the character of Napoleon fascinating. I found the um, the, the whole history of warfare, fascinating. I, I've never been a reenactor. I have friends who go to Waterloo actually and participate in reenactments of, of the battle. And just like I have some friends who, who go to Gettysburg in the United States and participate in civil war. I haven't actually been to um, reenact on the battlefields, but I've, I've done both Napoleonic and American civil war myself. So it's, it's that whole world is, is one I'm very familiar with. Yeah. And, and so I read a lot of contemporary uh, things because Conan, I, one of the things that um, we have is Conan Doyle's roadmap or, or list of what he read, mm. uh, not all in one place, but you can assemble a huge amount of what he read. I think there's other things that he, he must have read some of the British memoirs that he doesn't mention, but certainly on the French side and, and the European side, you know, you can get a pretty good idea of what he read. So I put it one of my tasks, even though if it was probably not entirely necessary for the book, I read all of those things. Mm. Some of them in French, which was great for, for me to practice mm. um, because we couldn't find English translations and, and, and others um, just for the fascination of, you know, hearing what it was really like to be on the march from Moscow and, you know, which obviously is in the, is in the How the Brigadier Wrote to Minsk. It, it, it's a, it's an era within itself, isn't it? it just it it just stands out, um, just just totally fascinating, and and it, it it is interesting. I don't know how you feel about this with 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 the the, the, the fact that that Conan Doyle, you feel he could have written more with the Brigadier Gerard stories. He, 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 there's so many battles that he he leaves out. I well, I some of my talks, um, I wondered why he did not cite a Brigadier Gerard story in Switzerland. Mm. He wrote a bunch of them and where there were Napoleonic battles. I mean, I, so I, I, I have given a talk in which I recreate the Brigadier Gerard story in Switzerland. 
which takes place at the Reichenbach Falls. Yeah. <laughs> and then why he didn't set one in Egypt, yes. where he was writing, um, and, and again could have had uh, could have had uh, Brigadier Gerard there. Mm, mm, yes, because he, he he says he's been along from the early days in, in Marengo. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think, I, I don't know, I mean, he, he wrote all the stories by 1903, except then in 1910, he came back and wrote another one, mm. Marriage of the Brigadier, for which actually I, uh, um, I have to tell this. So um, the friends of the, uh, the Conan Doyle collection, uh, and uh, including the American friends and Glenn Moranker raised the money to buy the manuscript of the Marriage of the Brigadier. And it was delivered to me at um, on a weekend in New York by the uh, by the uh, auction uh, by the um, the uh, um, rare bookseller Peter Stern of Boston and I brought it home through customs. I was you know, when it, when they when they heard I had a manuscript by Conan Doyle, as I declared it, um, I was surrounded in the customs hall because everybody wanted to see <laughs> Conan Doyle's manuscript look like. Um, and, and then I had it in my house for three nights. So that's probably the closest an Arthur Conan Doyle manuscript is ever going to be to, to that <laughs> collection behind me. Um, so, uh, I, but um, yeah, I've, um, uh, I just find the whole thing. I just read um, a few months ago, um, the uh, Andrew Roberts biography of Napoleon, which is, uh, it's, it's a huge work, um, extremely interesting to read. I do think it's fascinating that um, we have such a detailed record of Conan Doyle's sources for the Gerard stories. I think it does add an entire, entirely new layer to our understanding of of his writing process as well, and it it draws us into you know that appreciation of him as a researcher and as a historian and as a historical novelist. He has. He has all those elements to him, but I, in a way, I think the research in for the Gerard stories is almost his most successful. Yeah, he kept these little schoolboy exercise books. Um, yeah, I have one um, on Wellington and his generals, and I've traced some of that into um, into um, uh, the Great Shadow, and um, I think maybe into the Gerard stories. And it, it's fascinating because he was he was writing as he was reading. So there was not any, uh, he was just taking it down casually as he's reading all these books and jotting down what he takes from them and what he thinks he might use. Mm. And the handwriting is as always meticulous. And there's little pieces, little phrases that you can find in his writing. And, you know, and we, there's a number of his notebooks in the library here. And I know that there are other notebooks around and, you know, to, to go in there and look at the, the diligence that he, Put into all of his research, um, he was serious. Mm. He wanted to make what he wrote historically accurate. He wanted to um, fit. So when Gerard gets involved in in, a, in an incident, uh, you know he fits into the actual history of the event. Mm. Um, uh, the, the closest parallel I can think of modern writers, George MacDonald Fraser, mm. who has Flashman, you know, at pretty much every major event between about 1840 and I don't know when he finally dies and you can't actually um say that he couldn't have been there mm-hmm. because he just fits them into the gaps in the, in the in the battle you know the the, the little bighorn the, the you know the, the the massacre of custer and um chinese wars and you know um, everything it's just amazing how how you know the battles in afghanistan and so uh, conan Doyle did that with gerard 
yeah and I, I think the the flashman parallel is fantastic because we know mcdonald fraser was so influenced by the gerard stories themselves they're uh they're a wonderful parallel and paul and i have talked about these many times because we're both big fans of of those books as well well fraser picks up he's, he's very good at picking up on these shadowy figures who are there in the background and saying this might have been flashman very very clever absolutely i have to say the introduction i wrote for the barnes and noble edition that book's out of print so i'm not i'm i'm not afraid to say if you can find a copy and you're looking for a copy buy the one with the introduction by fraser (laughs) (laughs) it's a wonderful introduction Mm -hmm. so so what do you think really attracted him to this this period of history I, I think that the interest in Napoleon might have come from his childhood. I think, uh, you know, he said his mother, you know, mm-hmm. raised with stories of, of um, his uncles, the Pacs, who fought at, you know, Waterloo. Five of them were at Waterloo, and I think three of them died there. I can't remember the exact wording. Um, so I'm sure that there was that, you know, this is the family heritage. I think some of it is just the fascination with the character of Napoleon, just as Churchill was fascinated with Napoleon. Um, every you know, this, and especially it was a huge revival around 1895. He was reading this, and I, I'm, I'm assuming he was an omnivorous reader and had an incredibly retentive mind. And so I, I think he just was always looking for something he could write about. And then he was fascinated with boxing. So that's why you get Rodney Stone, which I mean, it's I don't think it's stretching it to call it a Napoleonic novel because. It was sort of written at around the same time as The Great Shadow, which ends up at Waterloo. And, and I think Rodney Stone was meant to end up at Trafalgar. Yeah. Um, and it didn't. Churchill thought it would end up at Trafalgar. Yeah. But it didn't. Um, but it's, you know, half-pay officers and, and Nelson is in the, in the book. And so it, 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 it's certainly Napoleonic in nature, even if Napoleon and the, the wars themselves aren't front and center in it. And... Um, I, I think they just had a fascination with that whole era that lasted from about 1890 to early, say, 1904, 1905. So with, with um, your interest in this this period and, and, and the background, Cliff, um, what, what do you make of, 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 of Conan Doyle's take on Napoleon himself, you know, the, the, the great shadow himself? So we have um, a number of different... Um, Portrayals by Conan Doyle. Um, so, and I and I was recently asked to um, to do an article for the Baker Street Irregular series on professions on the Little Corporal. Mm-hmm. So it was focused on Napoleon. I was trying to um, uh, show how much of the of the um, um, Sherlock Holmes stories, because it's obviously a Sherlockian society and publication. But um, I, I went into this issue of um, what did Conan Doyle think of Napoleon, and the answer is he had quite a balanced view in my mind. He, he read so widely. Um, he was critical, for example, of Walter Scott's take on Napoleon because he thought Scott was biased. Mm. Um, on the other hand, he, in, um, in uh, Through the Magic Door, which is um, a non-fictional account of Napoleon, he, he writes about how um, Napoleon was vindictive, um, offered a um, a gift to someone who would assassinate Wellington. Mm-hmm. It takes it out of context because Napoleon was under either an eight-day fix or maybe true that someone was having him poisoned. 
and he was blaming Wellington and, you know, who was at least, you know, the prime minister, the head of Britain at the time. So, um, he, you know, why not say if someone will stop this, give him some money, but, uh, but he, he does that. But then he had the Duke Dungian shot in a dish, in a, in a ditch, um, you know, which is um, considered to be a, a terrible thing. You know, a man who was not necessarily a threat and he's had him assassinated. Um, he would willingly march troops off a cliff or, you know, into, into heavy battle. Uh, and then he comes back and talks about Napoleon was a humanitarian, how he wept when he rode through the battlefield afterwards and saw what had happened, how um, he was a, um, uh, you know, a benevolent and, and a clumsy matchmaker in, in the um, um, Uncle Bernack, where he pads out. And Uncle Bernack is a very interesting example of that because it's a story about, um, a young man whose uncle, you know, from the, uh, he was exiled from France um, during the terror and, and whose uncle invites him to come back and who um, gets involved in a plot to murder. He's involved, not involved, but surrounded by a plot to murder Napoleon. And then, um, you know, it comes out in the end and, and Brigadier Gerard is a character in the book, but he is it's a perfect example of what happens when he's seen through the eyes of a third party rather than his own. <laughs> which is part of Conan Doyle's genius because like mm. Sherlock Holmes works because he's seen through the eyes of a third party and Gerard only works because he's seen through his own eyes. Mm. So we're talking about a very versatile author um, who, who wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't fixed in, in one style. He could write in the best way that it would bring the story out and, and, and make the characters vivid. So here the novel is published in installments and um, the time comes to put all the installments together in a book and the publisher must have said, this isn't enough. Mm -hmm. And he writes a third of the book and sticks it in the middle. And it's an entire, it's, it's sort of like the flashback scenes in, you know, in, in, in The Hound or Studying Scarlet or whatever. It's just like, it's sort of not really part of the book, but it is. And you have this clumsy um, matchmaker mm -hmm wandering around, you know, dis disrupting people's lives, you know, so I, I, I it's, we're a long way from the original question, which is what Conan Doyle mm -hmm. thought, of him, but I think he had a balanced view. He thought of him as, a, as someone who had many different cap capabilities, he was admirable, he was a lawgiver, he freed, um, you know, he, he, he created the, the civil code, which is still in effect in, in many parts, even in Quebec here in Canada, and I think in Louisiana, the United States, uh, he he um, he essentially emancipated the Jews in many countries in, in Eastern Europe, where he, you know Poland and so on. Um, he um, he essentially was responsible for starting the um, requirement that people had to have family names mm -hmm. in parts of Eastern Europe. Um, so he has that one aspect to him of um, benevolence and and you know attempting to be a lawgiver and social reformer and. Um, um, the other one of a man who would march a thousand people into a, a deadly barrage if he thought he could win a battle. Mm. Um, I wanted to add that in, in the introduction to one of the uh, Brigadier Gerard stories, he, he wrote, um, after considering everything I knew about him, I could say that he was either a great hero or a great scoundrel. And he finished with, of the adjective only, could I be sure? I, want, I wanted to make sure that. I mean, that's, I think, how I take Conan Doyle's view of Napoleon. 
Yeah, um, yeah, Cliff. The, uh, the 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 Gerard stories are the the best known generally of 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 Conan Doyle's Napoleonic literature. Um, which of the others do you rate, and 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 do you, and how he takes a different approach to the period in in each of the the different novels? Uh, so so you, Uncle Bernac is is very different uh, to the Great Shadow, and both are very different to Gerard, for instance. Right. Well, when I when I decided to write a book, I, I originally was focusing on Brigadier Gerard, and then it occurred to me that I would broaden it to the Napoleonic connection. So then I made a selection, um, which now I realize wasn't complete at the time. Um, so I included anything that was written about that period, mm. whether or not Napoleon or the Napoleonic Wars themselves were a major part of it, or if they were just sort of part of the background. So that included uh, Rodney Stone, obviously, which we've talked about. It included Uncle Bernac, which, in which Napoleon and, and affairs of Napoleon and the British um, awaiting the uh, invasion from, um, from uh, the French side of the channel, Boulogne. Um, that's definitely Napoleonic. Uh, the, the Great Shadow, which ends at the Battle of uh, Waterloo is obviously Napoleonic. Rodney Stone, which is about the regency but is also about half pay officers and so on and then there's a number of and then there's a, a whole chapter in the in the magic door which i find is a delightful book that conan Doyle wrote about his reading about his own library and he has a chapter nine which talks about napoleon and talks about the literature of napoleon and that's where he really directly deals with the character of napoleon as this uh which we've talked about and then there's a bunch of short stories so there's the the first one, uh, which is sometimes included in Brigadier Gerard collections, is called the Foreign Office Romance. Mm. People think it's a Brigadier Gerard story without Brigadier Gerard, mm. in essence. And then, and then um, uh, there's um, the play, The House of Temperley, which is um, broken off of Rodney Stone and deals with boxing. And The Lord of Falconbridge, which again involves some of the same characters or, or other characters that are sort of Rodney Stone characters and they deal with boxing and, and card cheating, which was the mm. hidden theme of uh, Rodney Stone. And then again, uh, Slapping Sal, which is mm. another military story. And, and some of those I didn't even cover in my book at the time. And obviously, if and when I get down to <laughs> writing the second edition, um, they will all be part of it. So uh, I, I think um, they're all, they're, so this is a huge scope because each of them has a different theme. Each of them is written from a different point of view. Each of them has characters which are, are not, you know, run-ons. They're not serials from, they're not run-ons. The Louis de Laval in, in, in um, uh, uh, Uncle Bernac has nothing to do with Jock Calder in, in The mm. Great Shadow or Rodney Stone or, mm. or, or Boy Jim in, in, in uh, Rodney Stone. Um, you know, he, he just created this whole literature for a period of them all, I far prefer Rodney Stone. By mm. far the most interesting of the three other novels, Great Shadow and Uncle Bernac. Very much so. So um we were Paul and I were just saying before before this call that we we both feel that the Gerard stories are probably his his best historical fiction. Um certainly more much more storytelling, much less didactic than 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 others. Um so how how do you rate those Gerard stories? What do you think stands out? for you about them? Um, I, I would put um, the How the Brigadier Rode to Minsk 
and how the brigadier played for a kingdom. I can even get the titles right. As two of the best short stories ever written by anybody. Mm. Um, um, I kind of agree with Owen Dudley Edwards, although I don't go all the way. He he says that as Dostoevsky was the greatest of all novelists, that Conan Doyle was the greatest writer of historical short stories. And um, I think there's some truth in that. Mm. Um, certainly, they're extremely well written. Um, they're historically accurate. The characters are interesting. Um, there's humor in them. There's pathos in them. Um, you know, the, the plots are not necessarily magnificent or anything. They're somewhat predictable, but um, they, they're just so enjoyable. Everybody I know who's read both says that they're better than the Sherlock Holmes stories per se, just as writing and stories. Mm. Although I know um, nobody knows who Brigadier Gerard is in the world today, and everybody knows who Sherlock Holmes is. <laughs> the Sherlock Holmes stories have some merit of their own that I'm not going to try and uh, denigrate. Yeah, you, you do get a sense. I've, I've just been rereading the Gerards, uh, and and you do get a sense that Conan Doyle is really enjoying himself writing them. More so than with, with with Sherlock, he would feel a lot of the time it was a grind. Was yeah. there a real sense of enjoyment in the writing in the Gerard stories that just comes across? I, I think he was laughing to himself sometimes. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> Gerard, you know, when he talks about what a great uh, appreciator of art he is, and you know, after the uh, the uh, capture of Venice, and he had a, a, a painting, uh, two paintings. One he sent to his mother, and the other one nymph in the wood he kept for himself, and he kept it. For I don't know for quite a few campaigns until his horse put his foot through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just Conan Doyle was just you know writing with tongue in cheek and and mm. and laughing and yeah. I'm sure the audience that his audience was was enjoying themselves immensely. I think the thing that always stands out for me every time I read a, a, a Gerard again is how how big the shift the tonal shifts can be even within a short story. So you can actually get moments which are. Um, uh, you get you obviously get the the setup at the beginning, uh, with all of the bravado of of Gerard and the humor that's inherent within it. Then you can get great action sequences. Then you can get great romance sequences. Then you can get um, laugh out loud humor again. And I think it's quite difficult in a in 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 well, what you might think of as genre fiction, historical fiction as a genre, to actually have that kind of. Um, those ups and downs, that light and shade within within a short story, and that's what makes I think those the short stories so enjoyable. Well, that's that's why I selected how the Brigadier wrote to Minsk because there you have the the, the gloom and the despair of you know the march home from Moscow with people dying left and right, and and then in the middle of all of that is this little escapade where he thinks he's conquered this woman's heart, and of course she tricks him and. You know, it, 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 which happens every time he gets involved with a woman. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just think that that story and the other one where he uh, he finds a dying um, French um, diplomat on horseback and he takes on his mission to go, you know, to this German principality. And he again is fooled by a woman, tricked by a woman. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, he tries to make the, uh, you know, the... Uh, case for the French and um, then we have this patriot corner mm. or Kerner who gets up and, and makes this incredibly inspiring speech and I thought this was official character until I started to do the research and realized he truly was 
um, you know, beloved of Goethe and, and, and um, you know, brilliant order who died very young and, you know, one of these multi-talented young, young people that, um, mm. and, you know, Conan Doyle again builds all of this into a realistic story, but, it, you know, there's humor in it and there's um, defeat. Mm. I, th I think the, the, the introduction of, of Kern is very interesting as well, because he, he doesn't feel like he's been sort of rammed into the story. He's a natural part of the story. And again, this is part of, of, of Conan Doyle's genius as a, as a storyteller. Exactly. He, I think he took far more care with the Brigadier Gerard stories. Than, I, I mean, the Sherlock Holmes stories just show his natural ability to write and not have to think about it too much and not worry about details. Although if you really wanted to, you could you could play the game with Brigadier Gerard just as easily. Like how old is he? Oh, to Venice. You know, is he 15 years old or 30? Um, <laughs> And then which stories come in front of which stories and, you know, he gets married in, in uh, Marriage of the Brigadier, but there's never any suggestion about a marriage in any other stories, which probably occurred after the events in the marriage. You could have a lot of fun with that and people tried, but it didn't last very long. No. What, what I'd, I'd be very interested to know, uh, Cliff, why, why you think it is that, that, that Conan Doyle actually chose as as his serial character in this period why he chose a frenchman uh, over a british character um maybe his sense of humor mm. um you know i i think if he was going to write up uh, a british soldier he might want to make him noble and mm. uh, you know uh, more like sharp yes <laughs> like cornwall's mm. sharp Mm -hmm. um, rather than you know a, 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 a very competent buffoon, I guess is yes. <laughs> um, you know someone who can actually do things, but but uh, you know um, is often rescued by a Deus ex machina or um, you know or or sheer luck or you know and, and thinks he did it himself. Yeah. Uh, like Flashman, he gets there by accident. <laughs> yeah, but I think when you look at, at uh, the Brigadier in England, for example, and he's making fun of the British and how the Brigadier slew the fox, mm. which should never have been retitled from the crime of the Brigadier. Mm. Uh, I think it was terrible. Uh, it shows you Conan Doyle didn't have that much um, control over the publication mm. of what he was doing. We have a letter in the, in the library here uh, in the collection that Conan Doyle wrote to Greenough Smith um, at the time of publication of the last adventure of the Brigadier when, when he goes to uh, St. Helena to try and, and rescue Napoleon and he arrives and of course Napoleon has just died. And uh, at the frontispiece of this story as it appeared in the Strand magazine is a picture of Napoleon lying <laughs> on his deathbed. And Conan Doyle grossing that, you know, how, how could you do this? It gives away the ending of the story. And I, my comment on that was, did he actually think that people didn't know what happened to Napoleon? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair point. It's a fair point. So, so here's an unfair question then. So you're on a desert island. Which collection do you take with you? Do you take the Gerards or the, or the Holmes? Um, how long am I going to be on the desert island? <laughs> if it's a week, I take Gerard. If it's going to be longer, sorry, but I've got to have volume. I, I, I love reading the Sherlock Holmes stories. Again, they're so well written. There's so much in them. Um, you know, you can have a lot of fun with them. And, um, you know, I, 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 I think if you read the Gerard stories again, you don't want to reread them again until maybe a couple of years later. So, and that would only last me less than a week. Mm. So it's an easy, it's, it's, it's a, it's a throwaway uh, answer. I know. 
but I, I, I enjoy the other writings of Conan Doyle. I might take his history of World War One with me because I've been trying to find the time to read it and being stuck in a desert island. <laughs> yeah, I, I must admit that's that's one I haven't got through yet. <laughs> it's too intimidating. <laughs> Well, and and uh, you meant we mentioned in the introduction that you've got a um, an interest as well in in Wallen, who's the great illustrator of the Gerard stories. So tell us a bit about that interest. So um, again, uh, I, I I did I was I've always probably been a collector at heart. I mean, I had uh, you know hockey cards and baseball cards as a child, and um, I collected um, magazines and so on. But I. I and I had been accumulating material relating to Conan Doyle and not collecting it. I, 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 I didn't call myself a collector. And then I started to write the book and I thought at some point it would be nice to have copies of each of the books that I was interested in. So I went and bought first editions of um, the Gerard stories and Rodney Stone and so on. And then I thought, well, you know, I'll get the uh, American and Canadian firsts as well. I did. <laughs> should get some translations because the Girard stories were very popular in French translation and I did and then uh, uh, we were visiting my daughter was uh, doing some research in Boston and so we went down to visit her and I went into Peter Stern's bookstore as any um, Sherlockian would do when they went to Boston and he had all of the monthly issues of the Strand magazine with the Brigadier Girard stories in them and that was my first, I guess, my first major acquisition. And I came home and I looked at what I had already accumulated and I said, damn it, I'm a collector. <laughs> so, so at that stage, I, I, um, it's been said of uh, some of the American collectors, they collect with all of the uh, discrimination of a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and you know, that describes what, what you can see uh, behind you is essentially six books um, in different editions. Uh, and and um, I'm... I'm, um, so then I thought it would be really nice if I could get one or two illustrations by Woolen of the originals. Mm. And I've been lucky enough to get two oh. originals. Mm. And I, as far as I know, there's only two others that are known. One, one being in Indianapolis and I think one being possibly in, in Portsmouth. So um, it's kind of nice to have those. But then I started getting interested in Woolen himself. He was more or less a contemporary of Conan Doyle's. He, he was born um, a couple of years before and he died in 1936. Uh, and he um, he also illustrated a number of um, other things by Conan Doyle, including um, uh, the um, the uh, Straggler 15. Mm. And, I, and I, in your, in your, uh, your podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, you discussed how that might have in fact been um, the inspiration and a, a picture that Woolen drew that it appeared in, in um, I think it was the illustrated, I can't remember which it appeared in, but that it, it was um, an old soldier standing there looking over a marching regiment as it going by and that was old regiment and whether that might have been a scene that Conan Doyle used in writing A Straggler of 15, which of course then becomes the famous play Waterloo. Mm. And so I don't know, I don't know the Conan Doyle, um, uh, selected Woolen or whether he was happy to have Woolen do it. Woolen was one of the first rank of, of commercial artists of his time. Mm. He would have been behind Lady Butler and maybe one or two others, but but he was certainly very popular and had a long career and, and, and Conan Doyle would not have had any problem with him. But 
after many, many years, including finding um, Woolen's papers and all kinds of um, re research, I have never found that they ever met in person. Interesting. Because they, they were both in South, Af South Africa. They must, it was around the same time, wasn't it? Right. And we have, um, we have uh, the diary of um, Conan Doyle's dresser, Charles Blazon. Yeah. And he mentions other artists who, who come. Um, and ironically, when, when uh, um, in those days, since they didn't have fax transmission, so they couldn't send a drawing back um, in, in, in any way other than having it carried back on a ship. Um, so when his sketches arrived in London for the Sphere, which was who, who was employing him, they were turned over to Sidney Paget. Yeah. And so on many of the uh, sketches, the, the you know the magazines copies that I have the sketches, it's drawn by Woolen, you know, um, illustrated by Paget. That's really interesting, and I think I think I'm right in saying that Woolen Woolen had illustrated the Gerard stories before he went. To South Africa, but he then couldn't do the crime of the brigadier because, and then that went to Paget. Paget did that, but when the book was published, when the when the story was collected in the in the second of the two books, the adventures, um, he uh, he drew the drawings for the book. Mm. So in the book itself, the Paget drawings were not used. In of course, in the books, they didn't use all of the drawings from the Strand. The Strand would have about eight drawings per story, and there's only three or four in the book. Mm. Per, mm. per story, I mean. But Wallen's fantastic as a as a um, illustrator of horses, and in particular, I think he's got a he's got a really lovely style. And I did look recently at some of his his um, other um, war illustrations, uh, particularly his oils and watercolors. They're just astonishing. He's a fantastic artist. Yeah, I've seen them. Uh, I, I saw a number in the um, in the Royal Army Museum in Chelsea. Uh, we have a number here in in. Um, various art institutes and military, uh, uh, you know, um, barracks in Canada. I have his original notebook, by the way, sketchbook. And I can trace some of the drawings into the Brigadier Gerard stories from his sketchbook. Oh, fantastic. 90s. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's brilliant. So um, we're getting close to the end of the time for the podcast. But before we finish it'd be great to hear about some of the other projects that you're involved with at the moment we mentioned about the toronto collection what's keeping you busy at the moment cliff um i'm, I'm doing um I, I always have things that are on the go that i want to get around to and i've had a number of unfinished projects that i keep coming back to and moving along so one of them is to um do a new edition of of my book the great shadow Mm. Um, for a number of reasons. One is so many things have come to light over the past um, 25 years almost since it was done, and uh, including uh, manuscripts becoming available and correspondence, and partly because people have pointed out um, errors or omissions or both. Um, and um, I tend to think that looking back at what I wrote, I can perhaps do a little more sophisticated um, review of some of these things um, so that um, I've been interested in um, many things beyond the Napoleonic era um, Conan Doyle I think was probably destined to be an architect art you know art in the blood is really true in his case and he was quite a competent sketch artist mm. um, he certainly had the blood 
uh, the, you know, the family, I mean, his uncles, his father, his grandfather, he himself took a wonderful interest in architecture. If you read not just the Sherlock Holmes stories, but just start there and look at the description of um, Baskerville Manor or the Three Gables or any of the, mm-hmm. any of the, um, the architectural settings. This is not just, a, a, you know, um, a dilettante, um, you know, writing something, you know, vague. I mean, he's, he's, he has an eye. He perceives... And then we find that he engaged in architectural projects. We, we know he was very, very heavily involved in the design of Undershaw. Um, I want to write about things like that. I, I, I want to, um, I, I've already written about uh, Conan Doyle and the uh, 1908 Olympics, when there was the famous incident of the disqualification of the Italian marathon runner, uh, um, Petri, Durando Petri, who, um, uh, falsely, uh, then a rumor grew up that Conan Doyle had been one of the people who helped him across the finish line. And uh, Peter Lovesey, uh, well-known British crime writer, had written about it. And I decided to go into it in more detail and with some help um, from people like Catherine Cook of the um, Marleybone Public Library, we were able to track down the actual source of the false rumor. Ah. So that's kind of interesting. And that got me into the 1916 Olympics where Conan Doyle was to be captain of the British team. And I'm going to write about that. I have all the material. Um, I've got, uh, I was writing a history of the Baker Street Irregulars, which was part of a project that never got off the ground. But I've got all my notes. um, And I have essays um, on a number of topics that I find interesting. Um, Not Sherlockian, but organization Mm. about the organization that I find interesting. So I've got lots of things to keep me going. when I can find the time to do them. And and this year, we think we're correct in saying this year is the 50th anniversary yes. of the Toronto collection. So so what's happening uh, What's happening to celebrate that? Um, the problem is, of course, we can't come up with um, a definitive plan for an in-person event because um, we, we had booked, we were planning to have a conference in September and we have booked the facility at the library and we still have it. But um, right now, um, we're not sure how fast the vaccine program will roll out in Canada. It's being done very slow here. Mm-hmm. So we just don't think we can commit to any kind of a physical project. So we're going to have some kind of online activity. Uh, there, there is a publication of the history of the collection that will be published in um, the Baker Street Almanac, which again oh. is Ross Davies' annual publication. Mm-hmm. So I, I helped um, our, our curator, Jesse Amalo, write that. We're talking about uh, publishing that as, uh, as a pamphlet. We're hoping to have a, a distinguished speaker, um, most likely on, on uh, virtual performance. And um, we're just hoping that we can have people come and see the collection again. Yeah. about masks and distancing and so on. Well, it's, it's it's one of those collections that's on my bucket list because I've never ne- never managed to make it as far as Canada. So that's absolutely on my bucket list to come. Give us enough advance notice and you'll be speaking there. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm vaccinated in time. <laughs> Look, this has been fantastic to talk to you today, Cliff. We've uh, It's been great fun. And um, I just want to thank you for, for coming on the podcast and sharing your enthusiasm for the Napoleonic stories and for Conan Doyle in, in general. Um, and we wish you the very best with all of your projects. Absolutely. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing the finished product. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks, Cliff. Thank you.